0: This is a Suno India Production and you are listening to the Suno India Show. Ahead of the Assembly polls in Uttar Pradesh, Chief Minister Yogi Adityanath introduced the Uttar Pradesh Population Draft Bill 2021 on World Population Day this year, that is 11 July 2021. The provision of this Act shall apply to a married couple, where the boy is not less than 21 years of age and the girl is not less than 18 years of age. UP is the largest and the most populous state in the country. The UP government prepared a draft bill. The Uttar Pradesh Population Control, Stabilization and Welfare Bill draft claims that the law aims, and I quote, revitalise efforts and provide for measures to control, stabilise and provide welfare to the population of the state by implementation and promotion of two-child norm. The government says that it wants to reduce the total fertility rate or TFR to 2.1% over the next 10 years. The bill draft promotes two-child policy. The draft states that whoever will violate the policy will be excluded from government jobs, government subsidies and will not be able to contest local body elections. Couples who undergo sterilization and have only two children get incentives. If they are public servants, they get more increments, for instance. One of the incentives for the general public following two-child norm and sterilization is that the children in these families will get scholarships. This draft bill has seen criticism from civil society. Even the Vishwa Hindu Parishad has criticised the policy, saying that it will adversely affect the demographic balance of the state. The introduction of this policy has sparked debate about the effectiveness of the population control using sterilisation. Hi, I'm Kunika Balhotra, Research and Communications Officer for Sono India, and your host for this episode of the Sono India Show. To understand more about the UP Population Bill 2021, how it could be implemented and its impact on minorities, I spoke with Dr. Abhijit Das. He is the Director of the Center for Health and Social Justice in India and Clinical Assistant Professor of the Department of Global Health at the University of Washington, Seattle, USA. So to start off with, could you please explain to the listeners what are the main features of the UP Population Bill 2021 and what it would look like in practice?
1: The UP population policy has been uh, drafted with the overall objective of bringing about what well-being of the their community. But uh, um, it has proposed a, a strategy which is uh, adopting the two-child norm, and to do so, they have used a whole range of in, what they call incentives and disincentives, so that the community um, adopts. This uh, two child norm, and the population is stabilized, so um, which they feel will be necessary for provision of basic necessities of human life, including affordable food, safe drinking water, decent housing, quality education, livelihood opportunities, electricity and power, etc. So that's the uh, broad objective. Now, to understand it, there needs to be an understanding of three different elements. The first element is the issue of underpopulation, overpopulation, and the uh, sort of desired total fertility rate of 2.1. The second issue is to understand the two child norm as a measure, and uh, especially in the context of sterilization operations being used as the means of verification that you have two children. And the third, is the issue of incentives and disincentives. So these three need to be understood separately. So the first is the issue of population. Um, Overpopulation seems to be a very, very widespread worry across the country, especially among leadership, people in the middle class, and people who are educated. And primarily, it's been driven by the fact that we see crowds all around us. Now, we have to understand overpopulation or population from two perspectives. One is the perspective of what is called the total number of people, which is a feature of how many people are born, how many people die, how many migrate in, how many migrate out. And that creates your population. The second measure, which is often used by demographers, is called the total fertility rate, which is the number of children that a couple would have in their Lifetime, or how many children a woman would bear in her lifetime. And there has been this magic number or a holy grail of 2.1, which means that for every two people in a couple, the next generation will have two people. So, two children born to a couple of two. So, that's been the overall uh, understanding in this country for a long time. Two things have been happening actually contrary. Number one is total fertility rate across the country has been falling. Over the years. So today, if you look at India as a whole, the total fertility rate of India is roughly 2.1. It's a little more than 2.1. So actually, we've reached what is called total uh, the net reproductive rate of one, meaning we will not reproduce more than we have. However, when people look around them, they see a lot of children being born, a lot of people all over the place. So it seems to be counterintuitive that here is the fertility rate is coming down, but the number of people keeps increasing. This is happening for a reason that we have to understand is that children, when they are born, do not reproduce automatically. They take 20 years, 25 years, 30 years before they start reproducing. So today's population in its overall age distribution is different from the population of the past. In the past, India had lots of children and fewer couples. Now, the proportion of couples has increased and the proportion of children has reduced. So what we have is a lot more couples having fewer children, but the total number of children being born is still very high. So fertility control actually will not lead to control of this number of people being born because couples are having fewer children anyway. So TFR in UP is a little more than 2.5 but it is coming down. And by 2030, it will automatically reach 2.1. But the numbers will keep increasing. It does not stop immediately. You have two children and automatically the population does not become stable. It takes 25, 30, 40 years, because that is the time by which the children who were born in the past will stop being reproducing couples and their children will be reproducing. And at that point, Your equality of the past and the present will take place. Before that, there will be so-called more people in the community than were earlier because you have more couples. So this has to be understood. And this does not seem to be getting through to Indian policymakers and Indian middle class because they are obsessed with what they see physically in front of them. And then they want to control TFR. TFR is already low. So that's point one.
0: Dr. Das said that one of the most problematic areas in UP's population bill draft is the linking of various incentives with sterilization. Sterilization is a permanent method for either the woman or the man, while for men, it involves a minor procedure. For women, it is a proper surgery. In India, it is usually married women who undergo the surgery and not their husbands.
1: The second point is understanding the two-child norm and the way it has been tagged with sterilization. What has been happening over the years is that sterilization, which was the predominant method earlier, still continues to be a very, very important method, but there has been a promotion of spacing, meaning space between second and third child, use uh, other methods like injectables, like IUDs, which allow you to space children, use pills. Suddenly what UP is doing, wants to reverse that trend and go back into sterilization. When you go back into sterilization again, there are two adverse consequences that you have to be uh, considering. The first is sterilization is in itself a surgery, a major surgery. In India, it's mostly women who undergo sterilization more than 90%, 95%, sometimes 98%, 99%. It is a surgery in which you open the abdomen. You can do it by laparoscope. But you open the abdomen, which means that it has to be done with perfect safety. Unfortunately, in India, most of the sterilization takes place in rural areas in what is designated as camps in extremely unsafe conditions. So what you are doing is through promoting sterilization, you're actually increasing the risk women face when they have or practice family planning. India does not count failures. India doesn't count adverse outcomes. Every year, millions of operations are done and thousands of women actually face consequences. So we are pushing that. The second and further, I think, more important thing to consider from a demographic perspective is when sterilization is used as the permanent method of family planning, the pattern of childbearing becomes have two children as quickly as possible and then terminate. So you have your children within a smaller space of time, when you have children within a smaller space of time, actually, you push up the overall reproduction rate, your crude birth rate is increasing. And as your crude birth rate increasing, actually, the total number of people that you see around you, the overall population of the space will increase. I don't know who is advising um, UP, but this is something that they should have considered. Now let's come to the third issue, the issue of incentives and disincentives. So there are a whole range of disincentives. Disincentives are people who have more than three children. Sounds like, hey, that seems to be a good measure, have more than children, three children, you will be penalized. But the point is, it does not penalize couples who have had three children already. It Penalizes people who will have their third child in the future. So, very simply, it penalizes youth. It ends up actually giving benefits to older people. So, it's youth unfriendly. And UP is a state with one third population youth. So, it is completely discriminatory of youth and it keeps entrenched older people in positions of benefit authority, because it's uh, tied to even panchayat elections. So so this is something that needs to be considered. The second point is the issue of government jobs and all government schemes. If you have three children, you don't get any government schemes. You, you have three children, you don't even get ration for your fifth child, so violation of child rights. But if you're in a government job, you don't get promotion, you don't get um, in, uh, increment if you have a third child. But if you have less than three children, your children get all benefits. So what happens is not only you get benefit, your next generation also gets benefit. So it will have an intergenerational impact where the people who have less than three three children, which is mostly people who are less poor, who are not the socially marginalized groups, they don't have a pathway for future uh, improvement of their lifestyle or their livelihood or their Um, economic status, whereas those who have already been able to benefit will keep on benefiting because it's their children who will get additional support. So this is broadly what the UP population control bill is proposing.
0: Also the one-child norm adopted by China in 1978 reduced the child sex ratio considerably. India's child sex ratio was 919 girls to 1000 boys as National Family Health Survey in 2014. In Uttar Pradesh, the child sex ratio is even lower. It is 909 girls to 1000 boys. What kind of effect can such a policy have on the child sex ratio? Also, in this context, can you also give us some broad context of population control measures? If there is something about UP specifically we need to talk about and what kind of impact it has in the community?
1: In countries like India or UP or Haryana or especially the North, We have strong son preference. The moment you have family norm reduced, the number of sons, no family wants to reduce. So the squeeze comes on the number of daughters. Let us say we have a community society, which is sort of like in India, has intense son preference, and two children is what is what you have. So you, there are three patterns of having Two children. One can be two sons, one can be two daughters, one can be one son and one daughter. But if you have son preference, two sons, yes. One son, one daughter, yes. Two daughters, no. So automatically you are reducing daughters. How do you reduce daughters? We know in India sex pre- selection is common. It is illegal, but it is common. Declining sex ratio happening all across the country and spreading. So what you do is when you have two children, a two child norm, you create a further pressure on girl children, the number of girl children, and you see it as declining sex ratio. That's, that's extremely important to understand. China went through this phenomenon. So, you know, India, many people, even today I saw a news article where um, uh, MLA from Bihar, BJP MLA from Bihar said, in Bihar, we should have one child known. China had a one child known. So, what was happening is there was widespread sex preselection. And when you had widespread sex preselection, the number of girls in the entire society was reduced. So, what China did was it relaxed its two children first. Then, what happened? It found that the, there were no more girls for ma- marrying of their sons to. A big social uh, sociological phenomenon called bare branches was uh, discussed. Quietly this year, China has said two-child norm itself is off. We will now encourage you to have three children. Because what is happening in society is as the number of children becomes very small, future, you do not have a workforce. China is fearing that its past success in population control will actually decline its workforce. And as your workforce declines and increased longevity means your society has many more octogenarians, non centenarians, your tax base also reduces. And Japan is facing that. This is a something called, demographers called dependency ratio. Dependency ratio is the ratio of number of people who depend on social security children and older people and number of people who contribute through taxes. When that ratio becomes reverse, as in Japan, you don't have children, your number of workforce uh, productive adults is shrinking and your number of older people is increasing, your economy gets hurt very badly. It happens in the future. Such policies will reduce child sex ratio further. Haryana, which had a two-child norm, when they realized that such a norm is actually hurting that <coughs> child sex ratio further, Haryana removed the norm. Himachal removed the norm. So. Himachal and Haryana are two states which give you an example, which learnt a lesson. Unfortunately, UP, which is sitting next to Haryana, you know, Western UP and Haryana are culturally the same. It is now proposing a two-child norm. It seems like, you know, we don't learn lessons either from even our neighbours, forget um, a country like uh, China. China has removed its, its norms. It's now encouraging people to have three children, because it's realizing that there has been a huge damage done to the norm. In India, this population is already in terms of fertility coming down. But at this point, we have a huge youth population. You know, we should actually make the youth population much more productive. That is where the future well-being of this country lies. That is what is called demographic dividend. Instead of investing in our demographic dividend, our politicians and lot of people who have influence are constantly talking of population control. This is not the time that we should be talking of population control. The population is taking care of itself. You cannot reduce the population with a two child because already people have two children. What you're seeing as excess population is what is called population momentum. It is because children of the past are now adults and you have a huge youth bulge. Invest in the youth bulge, don't control their future aspiration. And this is what none of our politicians understand.
0: So this bill has seen criticism from all corners, including the Vishwa Hindu Parishad. Can you also tell us what are the broad criticisms of the bill, including targeting of minorities?
1: So there's, uh, you know, the I am focusing on youth, because I think that's the largest population that's going to be hurt. If you look at the population control mindset, which is now spreading across the country, first you had Assam. In Assam, the chief minister has very clearly said that this bill is going to be helping minorities and getting into education and development. What the chief minister of Assam doesn't understand is that the family size in Assam among minorities is already declining more rapidly than in Hindus. So they don't need it. However, there's this widespread myth that Muslims marry four times and have five children each, actually, the decline in fertility is more rapid among Muslims compared to other populations. But the other thing that we need to understand, and this is from sort of my understanding and study of NFHS figures, is that our focus on sterilization actually doesn't help Muslim communities. In Muslim communities, there is some what a fear, it's not so widely accepted sterilization. So if we had more uh, options in uh, temporary methods, it would help Muslim women to adopt family planning methods. Instead, the focus in India has primarily been on sterilization. So it's not also very friendly, or it's not also very helpful to the minorities or to Muslims, when we say minority, there are many other minorities, so we should be calling a spade a spade. It's focused on so called Muslim uh, population control. And there is this fear that the Muslims will uh, sort of their numbers will overrun the number of Hindus. That's that's complete political, mythological um, sort um, sort of promotion. There is no fact behind it. And actually, the program should try to understand what Is it that Muslim couples would prefer? And if you look at the data, the use of temporary methods is more compared to in Hindus. Sterilization use is less. If you look around, if you look at Bangladesh, Bangladesh is a Muslim country. They have adopted family planning far more than in India. So it's to say that it's a Muslim issue, I think it's completely barking up the wrong tree.
0: So this law makes an exception for couples with disabled child. What is your comment on this?
1: So, uh, you know, the disabled child, um, sort of, there's an exception. And very clearly, I think the disabled rights group should take it up. Because what the law is indirectly telling you is the disabled child is not equal to an able child. So, if you have a disabled child, please make another try. Instead of making life simpler and easier for the couple with the disabled child. Disabled children are human beings and they require and they need the support that is necessary for their lives. So that is what the state should be providing. Instead, the state is creating a kind of discrimination in which I fear, um, you know, what will happen to the disabled children, because there will be now a systematic discrimination and they will people will go for in the name of two-child am having a third child and ignore the disabled child. That is simply... Uh, It's a violation of human rights, in in my understanding.
0: You talked a lot about the TFR. The TFR rates in India fell dramatically in the UP. And if we go by the National Family Health Survey numbers, it was 3.8 in 2004 and 2005, which fell to 2.7 in 2014 and 2015. What will along with this and disincentives for having more than two children affect people in this area?
1: Uh, the tfr of up is already on the decline so the logic of using tfr for the, as a justification of a two child norm is what is called a smoke screen without anything you will have a decline in tfr across the country tfrs are declining there are states where the tfr is 1.4 so actually you have then you'll have shrinking populations In UP also, population will come down. As I said, the the population control bill in uh, sort of its intent seems to be primarily aimed at, you know, saying that we are controlling the Muslims. There is no justification for this uh, two-child norm and it will hurt women. It will hurt women. It will hurt minorities. It will hurt the youth. And I uh, sort of... Would emphasize youth because UP is a huge youth state. One third of the population is youth. It, it you know, in in terms of reproductive rights, I am uh, in a way less concerned because women have already controlled their fertility. What I am uh, more concerned about sterilization. Sterilization has been the most commonly used method. There was a push to go into. Um, temporary methods and non-sterilization-based methods, spacing methods, this will reverse some of the gains that have taken place in the last five years. So that's what I'm worried about. You know, it will uh, open women to risks of sterilization done in poor conditions, because that is what will happen in UP. There aren't enough surgeons to do so many sterilizations. There aren't enough OTs to do so many sterilizations. Supreme Court has also made a Sort of uh, noting on that when people go in and adopt a measure because not adopting a measure will hurt them, it is coercion. So the incentives itself become coercion and disincentives are there. So even when you go for a uh, operation, because that's the only thing that will give you a certificate, actually you're exposing yourself to health risk which is surgery based. So that's a problem. The intent is a violation of reproductive rights. So there are lots of violations. The violation of child rights, as I said, the violation of disability rights, there's a whole range of violations which are uh, built in. There are violation of uh, democratic rights, uh, civil uh, rights, political rights. So uh, there's actually no justification of such a law by any way.
0: What are the acceptable feminist practices of helping women take charge of their bodies? Like, how do population control measures work in this context? And what are the possible lessons such an experiment population control can take from previous population control strategies across the world?
1: So, Number one, I would uh, sort of advise against the use of population control. If the word population is essential, then population welfare is a much better term. Otherwise, we also use the term reproductive health which includes both the services necessary and the autonomy which allows you to sort of seek services. So in terms of welfare, and if you are only talking about the an element of reproduction, so from the time that, uh, you know, the reproduction, reproductive life of girls start, they need support around menstrual uh, education. And uh, menstrual education does not, Only mean menstrual hygiene. It also means the whole range of menstrual taboos that we have in our country. So that's one big thing that needs to be dealt with. We have started with menstrual hygiene in our country, but we still haven't dealt with the idea of menstrual um, taboos, the isolation that the women are faced, the fact that women are considered in large parts of the country as untouchables during that period. So that's one area that needs to be understood. But at the same time, boys and men need to understand what is happening in women's lives, because they are part of the same family, they're part of the same community. And what has happened today is that because of all these taboos around reproduction and all these taboos around menstruation, there's a huge sort of myth making taking place, which leads to discrimination, which leads to ill health. But it also leads to the fact that men are not becoming supportive. Of people, of girls and women in their family, their wives, their sisters, their mothers, their daughters. So, that support, that cooperation, that engagement needs to happen. So, you have to talk to boys and men as well. Then, you know, once you do this kind of uh, reproductive education to girls and boys and help boys to also understand their own body and their development, uh, we continue to operate in this uh, binary heterosexual framework, and there is religious opposition to. Um, sort of sexual fluidity. So that education should help and people should be men or women or whatever they choose to identify themselves as to understand who they are, express themselves and be respected. I think that's fundamental to reproductive uh, rights. And then of course, provide the necessary services to understand your sexuality, to express your sexuality, which means contraceptive services, which means uh, p- protection uh, against infection. Those have to be available. In India, initially, they were only available after marriage. In India, age at marriage is increasing. So there will be sexual experimentation. There will be sexual life before marriage. If you have a child marriage, then you say you don't have sexual life before marriage. But if you're going to push the age at marriage, and it's increasing every year, which is a fabulous phenomenon. But then Uh, These young adults should have the freedom to experiment with their sexual beings because they are sexual beings by that time. So that is something that needs to be arranged for. And the fact that we have very little services for sexual health. I think we talk reproduction, we talk reproduction as if reproduction takes place without sex. So sexual health, sexual well-being is also extremely important. We are full of sexual myths in this country. So on one side, we are obsessed with population, but on the other side, we don't talk of sex. In a country which so-called so many children are born also means a lot of sex is happening. A lot of sex may actually be non-consensual. So we have to talk of sexual violence. We have to talk of respect for other genders. We have to talk of respect within relationships. So there's a whole range of work that needs to be done for population welfare, if you might call it, in terms of the health part. And then, of course, there are issues of sort of dealing with adolescent problems, or adolescent issues, the issues of livelihood, the issues of competency, skill building—the whole range of work that needs to be done for uh, population welfare.
0: Please rate our podcast and leave a comment if you like it. Underreported and underrepresented stories can become mainstream only if it reaches more people. So please support us by visiting our contributing page on our website sunoindia.in or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram.